As uh, we've worked our way through the Lord's Prayer over the past few weeks with one or two interruptions, uh, I wonder whether it occurred to you to ask, what would it look like if I really believed this? Jesus taught his disciples these words as a pattern for prayer. This is how you should pray, he said. This is what should shape your prayers. And I know that each one of us uh, would want to say this morning, yes, that's right. Uh, I want my prayers to be like that. I want my prayers to be shaped like that. That's what I want them to look like. Uh, But do they? Do they? And what would be different if we took these words of Jesus with a fresh and deep seriousness? You might have noticed uh, so far that at each point, in each line, uh, with each petition of the Lord's Prayer, there is something that challenges our complacency. It's quite strange, actually, when you think about it, uh, that this prayer can be rattled off with minds only half engaged when you consider what's being prayed in it. But I've done that more than once, and I suspect that you have too. Yet in each line has a bite in it. Each line raises questions about the way we think and the things we value. And if we're not going to fall into the self-destructive patterns of prayer that characterise the hypocrites as they prayed, prayers Jesus contrasted with the simple words of the Lord's Prayer, I suspect we need to listen to those questions. And when we do, I trust, it won't be quite as easy to pray these words. And it certainly should not be as easy to rattle them off on autopilot. Do you remember how it begins? With those words, our Father in heaven. An invitation to address God as Father as Jesus did. And when we looked closely a couple of weeks ago, we noticed that both pairs of words are important. Our Father and in heaven. Intimacy and confidence. Our Father, the one who will not back away from loving us and reverence and awe in heaven. He's always God. He's always the creator and we are always his creatures. Holding those two elements together is critical if we're not to cringe in fear and if we're not to treat him with the flippancy and familiarity that comes so easily to us as Australians. It's not a simple thing to pray our Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul actually tells us it's only by the Spirit in us that we're able to cry out, Abba, Father. We can't do it in our own strength. And then came the first three petitions, all about God, all about the holiness of his name, the kingdom in which he rules, the will he works out on earth as in heaven, most especially in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we notice that in each case we're asking God to do this thing for himself. Father, let the whole world see the holiness of your name. Make it happen. Lord, bring your kingdom on the biggest scale possible. Let what you promised from the beginning come to fulfilment. Make it happen. Bring on that day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory. And Father, your will is done, always done, perfectly done in heaven. Let it be done like that on earth. Make it happen like Jesus did 
when he put his own advantage and his own interests aside because we mattered more to him and to you. It's hard to pray those things when you see just how big they really are, isn't it? These petitions are on the biggest possible scale because they're on God's scale. It's his name we want to see recognised and treated as holy because it is. All other names dwarf before his and I can't be preoccupied with my name, getting myself a platform, drawing attention to me, making sure that people know who I am and what I've done. It's his reputation that matters. That's what always matters. And it's his kingdom that we want to come. The kingdom for which the entire universe was created as a context. Bigger than my little kingdom, whatever that may be. Bigger than my ministry, bigger than my church, bigger than this college, bigger than any kingdom or empire we've read about or imagined or pursued on earth. His kingdom, the real thing. And it's his will we want him to put in place. His will we want him to work out. And it might not be what I would will. And it might not be what you think is best either. But it's his will, which is always good and always right and always true. His will, let your will be done, Father, on earth as in heaven. And now this morning uh, we turn to the next petition and we face another shock. Because we've been looking at the big scale, the God scale. But now we turn abruptly and without warning to us. We've prayed about the things that matter most to God and now we turn to the things that touch us most directly, most personally. From your will be done on earth as in heaven to give us this day our daily bread. Now, you might have seen the, uh, the pictures of that iceberg that parked itself outside the town of Inasuit, sorry, on the western coast of Greenland just recently. Did you see those? A massive iceberg sitting in the bay. Um, you know, 11 million tonnes of Arctic ice, the size of a hill, parked just off the shore and towering over the town. They've had to evacuate the coast. They're afraid of tsunamis as it breaks up. But as huge as that iceberg looks, and those photos are impressive, we are assured that it's only part that we see. And underneath, there's much more going on. There are very deep roots to this iceberg. And I want to say to you, there are very deep roots to this short petition of the Lord's Prayer too. Big issues are being addressed in these simple words. And this morning, I want to look at three of them. Physicality, dependence and contentment. Not the snappiest three words I could have come up with, I don't think. Uh, but I hope you'll see that these three big subterranean truths find expression in the words, give us this day our daily bread. Physicality, dependence and contentment. So firstly, physicality. What do I mean by physicality? Well, up to this point in the Lord's Prayer, we've been praying about real things, but not physical things. We've been asking God about the spiritual realities of his holy name, his glorious kingdom, and his perfect will. And don't get me wrong, these are preeminently important. They come first in this prayer for a reason. When all is seen and done, they are the things that matter most and they are the things that last forever. 
yet the concrete physical issues confronting us every day, they matter too. God is interested in those too. The Christian faith does not deny the reality and the goodness of the physical, tangible world in which we live. Our bodies, how they are sustained and nourished and what we do with them, all of that matters too. God is interested and Jesus encourages us to pray for the things we need to live as disciples in this physical world. It's most certainly true that man does not live by bread alone. As Jesus said when he was most hungry and faced with the test put to him by the evil one. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus will ask later in Matthew 6. But that does not mean bread has no value at all. Your heavenly father knows you need these things, Jesus will say. And he encourages his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. There is something very earthy and real about life with God. There is not a part of human life of which he's not interested. He made it all and he made it to be enjoyed. He's interested, vitally interested, in the struggles of Christian parenting and he can see you through it. He's interested in all the dimensions of married life and the difficulties of two selfish people trying to live together as one. He's interested in the struggles of the single life. Your physical health, your basic bodily needs, all of them are matters of concern to him. He provided for the man and the woman in the garden and he's been providing for his human creatures ever since. And so... Don't you think that the sheer heartbreaking struggle of our farmers, dragged down by drought, despairing of where the next meal will come from for them as well as for their livestock, don't you think that matters to our Father in heaven? This week I received a letter from the Archbishop. He's calling on every church in our diocese to pray this Sunday for rain in the farmlands of our nation. They've been gripped by drought for years and years and many of them have come to the wall facing financial, relational and personal disaster. Do you think our Father in Heaven is concerned about that? Or is he only concerned about the spiritual matters, the large-scale matters of cosmic significance? No. The dusty crumbling, death-inducing dryness of the land on which many men and women, Christian and not Christian, are working, matters to him. How they survive matters to him. Because while we are being prepared for life on a spiritual dimension beyond our imagining, we are being prepared for that future in the flesh and blood, touch and taste, physical world where hunger and thirst and drought are real things. Friends, don't ever think that God is only interested in the spiritual, that he only wants us to pray about spiritual matters, that the details of our current physical existence don't matter to him. That's the ancient heresy of Gnosticism or the pagan philosophy of Plato. 
not the faith which arises from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Flesh and blood and tears and hunger and thirst and delight and beauty and how we'll move from this moment to the next and through every moment until he returns. It all matters to him. Now, that's an easy thing for us to skip over without noticing, but because this petition in the prayer is for bread, bread here and now, it reminds us of God's mercy in the midst of our physicality. That's the first deep root of give us this day our daily bread. And the second is uh, dependence. This petition is an acknowledgement of our dependence. We are asking God to sustain us with the basic currency of life. But the point is we're asking God to give it. Take these words seriously and you might realise how hard it is for us to pray them. To pray this way is to recognise that there is no other way that I can survive except by the gifts he gives. He is the provider. He is the one who gives. There is not one thing I have which is not a gift from him. And the ultimate reason I have what I need to make it through this day is because he has given it. Now that gives a particular character to our relationship with God, doesn't it? He is the Holy One whose very name is more precious than all the things I value. He is the great King whose kingdom is coming. He is the one whose will is always done in heaven and has been done on earth. He is always that sort of majestic, powerful, sovereignly effective Father in heaven and I, I am always his creature and I am always one who receives from him rather than gives to him. What I need to survive today has been given and what I need to survive each day has been given. And again, it's too easy to forget that uh, simple and most basic fact, isn't it? We can act as if the necessities for life today are our own accomplishment or just the natural part of the environment that I have a right to expect will always be there. I'll just pop down to the convenience store if it's open um, and <laughs> you're as frustrated as I am, I can see. <laughs> I'll just pop down to the convenience store and uh, pick up that loaf of bread that we need for today. We pride ourselves on our self-sufficiency. We can look after ourselves. We can provide for our own family. And the fact that it all comes from God, the fact that we're dependent upon him for everything, slips from view. Of course, that's not the case everywhere in the world. There are people who woke this morning, uh, even this, uh, in this obscenely wealthy city, who have no idea where the things they need to survive for just this day are going to come from. Not to mention those in other poorer parts of the world. And yet for them and for us, if those things are to come to us this day, they will come only because our Father in heaven has given them. I take it that we recognise that much more readily in the spiritual sphere. We know that salvation comes only from God. We sung about it already a couple of times today. We know that without him we're lost in sin. 
We know we need his spirit to change us so that we'll call out to him and call him Father. From beginning to end, our salvation is from God. And yet so often we look elsewhere for the provision of our physical daily needs. We forget that here too we are dependent upon him. Here too we live because of his love and mercy. Your heavenly father knows that you need things like food and clothing and shelter, Jesus told his disciples. And he loves to give good gifts to his children, he said in another place. Ask. Recognise your complete and continuing dependence upon him. He is the one who sustains your life through every moment until he decides it's time to take you home. Pray, give us this day our daily bread. Well, the third great subterranean truth is contentment. Physicality, dependence, and finally, contentment. For this petition, I hope you've noticed, is not for a three-course banquet. It's not for abundance or comfort or luxury. It's not even for enough bread to see us through the week. It's simply and graphically, give us today our daily bread. No more, just what I need to survive today. And if that's true, if that's what Jesus is encouraging us to pray, how comfortable are you really in praying this prayer? Because I suspect that you and I think we need a lot more than that. You and I want to ask for a lot more than that. We want a secure, steady flow of income, what we would consider a modest wardrobe, a pantry and refrigerator full of food with some special treats among it all. We want our piece of the property market, a comfortable and reliable means of transport, the option of holidays, and the means to eat out when we're tired of cooking and doing the washing up. And we kind of think we deserve it. We're not going to be content with our daily bread, just our daily bread, are we? And yet that is what we are encouraged to pray for at this point in the Lord's Prayer. For if you know who God is, if his kingdom is our priority, if knowing his will and doing his will matters most, then it will change the way we think about our daily lives. Each day is a gift from God. Survival each day is a gift from God. So is everything else. And being content with what he's given, realising that it is God's generosity which has sustained you, in the way and at the level he has chosen for you all your life is a critical part of Christian discipleship. The model in the Bible, of course, is God's provision of the bread from heaven for his people wandering in the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt. Remember that? In Exodus 16, when the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, God gave them manna, bread from heaven, Enough for each day, just enough for each day to sustain them. The people were to go out in the morning and gather a day's portion every day, no more. The big households took enough for a big household. The smaller families took enough for them. And we're told whoever gathered much had nothing over and whoever gathered little had no lack. The exception was, of course, as they prepared for the Sabbath. On the day before the Sabbath, 
they could collect twice as much and unlike the rest of the week, it would keep for two days. For God gave them what they needed to survive and to live faithfully as his people and they were to learn contentment and trust as they received from his hands. And when some tried to collect more, more than they needed, it spoiled in their hands. The bread for each day, just enough for each day. And here in Matthew 6, Jesus speaks of our daily bread. It's an unusual word, the word daily in this sentence. It's so unusual that some suggest it should be read as the bread for tomorrow or the bread for the, of the bread of the future banquet. But none of these suggestions are convincing to my mind in the end. And in the light of what Jesus says in the rest of Matthew 6, I think it's clear that Jesus is encouraging his disciples that rather than worrying about what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear, pray for what you need, trusting the one who is our Father in heaven for he knows you need these things. Learning contentment is one of the great challenges in a world and society like ours. But as Paul wrote to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. It is in itself an expression of faith and a willingness to be God's creatures, dependent upon him, receiving from his hand. Of course, this doesn't mean that we'll all live below the poverty line or just uh, with the meanest uh, subsistence. Some will. But it is the will of God to give some of his people extraordinary wealth, not least so they can be generous, as he is generous, and to care for those in need. Nevertheless, to pray this part of the Lord's Prayer and to understand the truths that give it real depth means recognising that we have no right to all the things we desire and learning to be content with our daily bread. It's not about greed, but about need. We can be confident in bringing our needs before God because Jesus has encouraged us to do so. But what would it look like if we really took seriously the words Jesus gave us to pray in this prayer? Where is the challenge to complacency in the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer? What makes it just a little uncomfortable and so all the more necessary? We need to take seriously God's intense involvement in the physicality of our lives, the real and earthy things that make up the joys and the struggles. We need to recognise and truly believe that everything we have, absolutely everything, comes as a gift from our loving Heavenly Father, even the unpleasant and painful things. We are entirely dependent upon him for life now as well as life in eternity. And we need to learn contentment, seeking to live each day as a disciple of Jesus, not straining after more, but receiving what he gives us to live this day and continue the journey that will end when we receive more than our daily bread, more than anything we could hope for, in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells, where slap dab in the middle is the throne of God and of the Lamb, which is the source of all real joy and hope and love.
And so this morning, friends, I thought uh, that I'd finish uh, by praying with you uh, for uh, those who are suffering the drought in New South Wales. Um, the Archbishop not only sent us a letter saying, please pray, he gave us some words to pray, and I'm going to use those. So will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge our ingratitude when we have taken your goodness for granted, when the heaven has poured forth rain and the earth has produced its fruit and we have been given our daily bread. Yet now we cry to you for help as the drought in New South Wales deepens. Have mercy on our land. Have mercy on the people of the land. May your bountiful hand send forth rain upon our parched earth. Fulfill your promises that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease, so that those in remote and rural areas may find relief from their distress and glorify your name for the provision of their needs. Father, we ask this in the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.